the way I like to explain it, it can be like, I can, everything in my life can be going completely wrong and I can be totally fine and like on par, fine, normal. Um, it's not, it's not caused by things happening. Like dep my depression doesn't come when like something bad happens. It just comes out of the blue. Like I'll wake up one day and be like, holy shit, it's here. I know it's going to be here for X amount of days. I, it's usually about two weeks. Sometimes it's longer. Um, I have tried my entire life to fight against it and to say, no, I'm not going to get depressed. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do this. It's not something that I can fight against. Um, at 41, I finally, with my husband's help, realized like it's a chemical imbalance in my brain and it doesn't matter how much I want to feel better. I'm not going to feel better until my chemicals in my brain have regulated and then I'll feel better and I'll be fine. Moms with aspiration, moms are inspirations, moms in circulation, moms at their workstations. Mom, they make a nation, mom, this is a mom nation. Welcome back to Mom Nation Unscripted. Now a word from our sponsor. Hey y'all, Katie here, founder of Mom Nation and owner and operator of Team Evo AZ at EXP Realty, your go-to gal for anything real estate in the state of Arizona. I am the sponsor of today's show. I will link my page and information in the show notes so you can quickly and easily get in touch with me should you need anything real estate, any advice, or maybe you're looking to get into the business. I sure hope you enjoy today's show. Thanks for listening. Hey, Mom Nation, it is Katie again, and we are here with another episode of Mom Nation Unscripted. This is season four, episode 13, and I'm really excited to dive into our guest and, and her story today. So um, just keep in mind, if you guys are interested in being a guest on the show, please follow us at Mom Nation. You can, uh, the handle is at Mom Nation, and that is on our Facebook page, um, at Mom Nation USA, actually on our Facebook page and on our Instagram. Um, you you can feel free to message either one of us as well. And we would be happy to talk to you about getting on the podcast. Um, what are we looking for, Cher? We're looking for inspirational women. Who else are we looking for, for the podcast? Yeah. If you are an expert, you have something to share that might help moms, families, children um, connect with us. That is really what we're all about. Awesome. Absolutely. This is definitely where we share inspirational stories, useful information. And, um, you know, we discuss a variety of women slash mom slash wife slash sister slash boss <laughs> ladies. Exactly. Related topics. Um, so without further ado, welcome to my beautiful co-host, Sherry Ramo. How are you doing today? Hi, everyone. I'm great. I'm super refreshed after this weekend. I feel like we both had some Awesome things happening this weekend, right? Yeah. So tell me absolutely. about your trip. Oh my God. I am still there, I think, in spirit. <laughs> I'm 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 here in body, but I'm there in spirit. Um well, well we we brought our boat to Lake Havasu. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Lake Havasu is in western Arizona. It's right on the border of uh, we were actually in California for a hot minute. So it's right on the border of California and Nevada. I think it also touches. Yeah. Um and it's super fun. It's a huge lake, but it's also the Colorado River. And the Colorado River, if you've never been there, um, it, the lake is gorgeous. It's very clear. I come from New Hampshire and our water is very clear in New Hampshire. You can see straight down the bottom in many lakes, you know, depending on how deep it is, but um, it's mountain runoff springs and stuff like that back there, right? Well, here in Arizona, I, I sort of noticed that wasn't the same until I went to the Colorado River. Have you been? 
I've been, yeah, I've been to Lake Havasu a couple times. It's a quick drive, so it's beautiful there. I wish we could have met this weekend, but we'll definitely plan another trip to go there with the kids, like you said, so. Oh, a hundred percent. We were on the boat all day long. We boated to lunch. We boated to dinner. We saw jet ski races. I mean, it's a bit of a party. So there's some areas that I probably wouldn't boat through with the kids. Well, spring break um, so. It was spring break. Yeah. And let me tell you, it was, <laughs> um, but there's a bunch of parks and plenty of beaches and it's just so, so fun. I had such a good time. We, we didn't want to come back. And usually like at the end of our vacation, we were only there a couple of days, but usually the last day we're packing up, we're like, oh, it's going to be great to get home, sleep in your own bed, you know, um, get the kid, all that. We were like, hell no, we're trying to find <laughs> excuses to stay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. How about you guys? Looks like you had fun too. Yeah. So it's spring break for my kids as well. Um, we went to Oceanside, San Diego, La Jolla. We had so much fun. Um, my aunt and uncle pseudo they're family friends. So they've been around since I was born and got to go hang out with them. Um, they live in La Jolla and have this amazing view. So that was fun. And it was just nice to get away, um, from the military base and everything and just to kind of escape. So, and the weather's perfect. I did get a little bit of a a sunburn if you can see but yeah <laughs> that happens everywhere that I go <laughs> with the sun so it's inevitable but the kids had a blast they got to play in the sand and make sand angels so lots of pictures lots of memories oh that's so fun and the little one I bet she was having a blast oh my gosh she was literally like covering herself in sand and I'm like oh have fun do it that's not gonna feel good sister <laughs> right well, the last day was really nice. We checked out of our um, resort around 10 and then I just took them to the beach and I let them play while I worked. So having the beach as your office is like the best thing ever. Yeah. It's like I could do this every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, good. Well, I'm so glad you guys had a good time. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how about our guest, Megan? Did you do anything fun this weekend? We did not do anything. We actually watched college basketball all weekend. My husband and I are big college basketball fans. So March is our favorite time of year. Um, mm -hmm. So we just sat on the couch, ate chicken wings and pizza and watched basketball. Um, I have fun. to know who's your team. All my teams are out. So now that I'm now it's down to like no teams that I actually want, I'll go for Gonzaga because I think they're <laughs> going to win it all. So I work. I work for Grand Canyon University, so I was just Oh, I was rooting for them. I really wanted them to do something in the tournament since they were the only Arizona team to get in, but right. No luck. <laughs> they have a basketball team? I didn't know that. They're pretty good. Yeah, we're Division One, man. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And is your uniform purple? My favorite color. Of course. <laughs> no, we have purple. Um, we have white and purple, and then I don't know what the dark colors are. You guys have a dark, like a I think it's black and purple. Yeah. They're nice. They're nice uniforms, actually. I, I'm a big uniform watcher. <laughs> so I like to find the teams with the best uniforms and Grand Canyons are nice. Pre-COVID, actually, our work sends all of us there for the for the WAC tournament. We oh, usually yeah. go there and we do we stay in Vegas and we do like leadership development and training, but then we also get to watch the games. So it's really cool. That's awesome. It sounds like my wardrobe when you talk about their, their black um, jerseys. In purple. <laughs> I yeah, thought you were so, working on including more than black. 
I was. So Gray came into the mix. All right, I forgot about Gray. <laughs> no, really though. Um, I found out, which was, I mean, you're looking at me and you're probably like, yeah, duh, kitty. But I found out that I'm more of a warm tone than a cool tone. So um, that's why purple worked for me because I think it works for everybody. It was what my little designer said. Um, but she's trying to get me more into like the army greens, which I like, and you know, the oranges and and stuff like that, because apparently I'm I'm warm. But anyway, wow. um, awesome. Well, Megan, so so nice to have you on. I cannot wait to start diving into your story. I was reading um, the thing that you submitted to us. You know that that little application that we have our our guests submit, Sherry. Yeah. And I was reading over it again last night, and I'm just I'm super I'm, I'm super intrigued to hear every, how everything unfolded for you and how you got from point A to point B. So let's take us all the way back to young Megan and when she started this journey and uh, tell us about her sister. Um, let's see, uh, young Megan grew up in a very um, dysfunctional household and I was in foster care um, from the ages of nine to 11. Um, my parents both lost custody of myself and my brothers. And so we were um, in the system for a couple of years jumped around from different family members, um, kind of just had a crazy life. Um, and then when I was 11, my mom got remarried and we moved from Illinois to Arizona. So we moved here um, with, with no family here um, to have a fresh start. And it was really a difficult thing for me um, to be taken away from my you know, aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents, everybody. But that's actually when I found um, out how much athletics would mean to me. Um, we moved out here and I just didn't fit in. Um, I went to a very small school. There were like 75 kids in the whole school from grades K through eight. And everyone had been in school together forever. And I was the new kid and I was just had no idea how to fit in. Um, and so I started running track and cross country and I was good at it. And the interesting thing is when you're good at something in junior high, people like you because you're good at something. Um, and so I just really started at the age of about 11 to just really pour myself into athletics and um it's been who i am my entire life since then um in high school i started dating and i ended up with a boy who was uh, physically abusive to me and at the time i didn't have any way to tell anybody i didn't know what to say um i think my mom and my brother knew but i don't think they knew what to do about it um, so I was in that relationship and it was funny because he was also an athlete and he was a wrestler. And so um, he was bulimic, which is not something that a lot of boys are, but wrestlers are under a lot of pressure to maintain weight, make weight. Um, and so he taught me how to be bulimic. And so when I was 15, um, I started that with him and it was obviously um, very unhealthy and, but we did it together and um, it just started me into a spiral of an eating disorder. I had an eating disorder from age 15 and I feel like I probably could say that I was fully recovered around 38. Um, so most of my life um, I, I had an eating disorder. Um, let's see, I don't know where to go next. Um, so I was with that boy for about three years and then um, my best friend reached out to a boy that I had been friends with for a long time and said, Hey, can you help Megan get out of this relationship? She really needs to get out of this relationship. It's dangerous. It's bad. Um, at the time I was living with my boyfriend and his mom. 
Um, and I was 17, I think. Yeah, I was 17. And um, this friend of mine who I had known my whole life said, How, why don't you come to church with me? And I thought, oh God, I don't want to go to church, but I'll try it out. So I tried it out. And unfortunately for me, I did not know that it was actually a cult. Um, I had no idea uh, what the church was. I had never really been to church. And so I thought it was normal. I thought it was um, an okay place and that the things they were doing were what churches did. Um, so about age 17, I started to go to, to go to that church and they would, they were telling me the pastors and the people around me were telling me that um, my anorexia and bulimia was a demon inside of me. And so they would try to pray for me and cast demons out of me and lay hands on me and speak in tongues and all these crazy things. And I was just a kid and I thought, man, I've got a demon inside of me. Like, wow, I'm really messed up. Like, you know, um, and it just made, it just made the eating disorder so much worse. Um, it made me feel like the whole entire thing was just my fault. Um, that there was something deeply wrong with me and that I couldn't be fixed. And so, um, around the age of 18, I started with self-harming, um, cutting, burning, things like that. Um, just really took a downhill turn. Um, and when I was 21, I actually went to the psych ward for the first time. Um, I was suicidal and I had a panic attack and I thought I was having a heart attack. So I called 911. They came to get me. Um, they took me to the hospital and they knocked me out. I was out for like 36 hours. And when they woke me up, they said, you know, you, you had a panic attack and we're going to put you on medication. Um, they put me on Zoloft and sent me home. And that's when I found out that I was bipolar. Um, and the Zoloft sent me into, um, a manic episode and it was the first one I'd ever had and I didn't know what it was I was 21 I lived by myself um and so yeah it was a really um difficult time but during that time I I uh, I, I found a place in Wickenburg called Bermuda Ranch it's no longer called that it's called the Meadows now but it's an eating disorder facility and I went there um for 90 days and it it honestly and truly saved my life just I wouldn't be here if I hadn't, if I hadn't gone there. So, um, yeah, I was there for 90 days, went through very intensive counseling, group counseling. Um, it was, a, it's an equestrian program as well. So they have horses there. You learn how to take care of a horse, ride a horse. Um, it was, it was eye-opening for me. It was life-saving for me. Um, I, after, as I, while I was there, my counselor said, you can't go back to Tucson. I'm from Tucson. They said, you can't go back there. You need to get away from that church. It's a cult. You need to get away from those people, from your parents. You just, you need to start over again. And so that's how I got to Mesa. Um, actually, a girl that I was in treatment with was a physical therapist and she lived in Scottsdale. She got to Remuda about a month after me. So she had about a month longer than me to stay. And she said, just take my house. Go, Here's my keys go stay in my house in Scottsdale, um, right by, uh, what is that place called? It's up on Shea. It's like a shopping center. I'm not sure what it's called, but she gave me the keys to her house and said, stay here until you find somewhere to stay. Um, and so I stayed there and in between all this, I'm sorry, skip back just for a second. I went to the university of Arizona. Um, I got my teaching certificate there. Um, I'm, I'm a teacher. I was a teacher. I'm not a teacher anymore. But um, I tried to find a teaching job up here in Mesa and I'd only had a year of experience under my belt and just couldn't find anything. 
Um, and my friend that let me use her house was coming home. So she said, hey, you know, sorry, but you got to go because I got to come home. Um, so I found a roommate actually through a church, through a church mes message board. I wasn't going to the church at the time, but I was referred there um, by a counselor. So this church has a message board where you can find a roommate. So I moved in with this woman. Um, and unfortunately for me, the, the eating disorder treatment, it stopped me from being anorexic. I was not anorexic anymore, but it made, so here's a, a thing that they say in treatment is a woman is either anorexic and then she dies or she's anorexic and then she's cured or she's anorexic and then she's bulimic. There's not like any other three choices. Um, and I went from being anorexic to being very bulimic again. Um, and so my roommate that I was living with was a Christian lady and she was not from the church I was at before that was a cult. She was from a completely different church, but she thought that my behavior, my bulimia was from the devil. Um, I went to work one day and I came home after work to my apartment. It was in Chandler on uh, Arizona Avenue in Guadalupe. And all of my things were sitting outside and I tried to get into the house and the door, the, the locks had been changed. Um, and so I was here in Mesa. I'd been here for at this time about three months with um, nowhere to live, um, no way to, I wasn't on the lease. I was just a roommate. I was just you know giving her $500 a month to stay there. And so that was the first time that I was ever homeless. Um, I was 23 and I was just homeless. I just, there was nothing I could do. Um, my family was all in Illinois and I was here. And so I was just a 23 year old with nowhere to go. Um, I went to, I, I stayed in my car for a few days. And while I was staying in my car, I went to a, um, an eating disorder recovery program in Chandler. They had an outpatient group, which, since has been disbanded, it doesn't exist anymore, but it existed and I went to it and I just said, hey, I'm homeless. Um, there was a girl there that was staying with a couple who had lost their daughter to bulimia a couple of years earlier and they, their heart and their passion was to try to help girls that were struggling with an eating disorder. And so I went to their house, talked to them, they said, move in. And so I moved in, um, it, it was amazing. Um, they didn't, ask anything of me other than I just be respectful and take care of my space. They didn't ask me for rent or anything. So I stayed there for about seven months and it allowed me to just work and save up my money, um, pay off my car, get myself together. Um, and so upon leaving their house, I felt really like I was, I still, I, I still at the time, I mean, I was just, as far as saying I have an eating disorder, I don't no, I mean, I'm sure there's people listening that, that have had one or have known someone that has one, but it just was all consuming. I mean, it was like, wake up in the morning, first thing I think about all day long. I mean, just wait, I, I, I weighed like 110 pounds and was just counting calories all day. And just, you know, um, at one point running about 20 miles a day, um, I would get up at five o'clock. I would go set water bottles out. I drive in my car and go set water bottles out along the path. And then I'd go run 20 miles and then I'd go to work. Um, and it was just very compulsive and terrible. Um, and my body, I, I, I was hospitalized several times um, between high school and age of 38 for just dehydration, um, different medical problems, heart issues, just because my body was like, why are we still doing this? We've been doing this for a long time. Let's stop. Um, so when I was living with that couple, I met a man, um, who 
was good looking. He had a nice car. He had a good job. I really liked him. We dated for six weeks and he proposed. And the, one of the girls I was living with was like, do not marry him, run away. You guys have known each other for six weeks. Um, but I was a very broken person. I didn't have any of my family. Um, you know, I, I'm estranged from my parents, so they were not involved in my life. Um, so I just met this guy and thought, this guy's great. Let's do it. So we got married. Um, he was from Ohio. And as soon as we got married, he's like, let's go to Ohio. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go to Ohio. I've got nothing here holding me here. I, you know, I'm just free to go. We went to Ohio. Um, I got pregnant really quickly. I was on birth control, but they had told me that I would never get pregnant because I had not had my period for so many years being anorexic and bulimic. And I got pregnant super fast. Um, and within about three weeks of getting pregnant, I realized that the man that I had married was physically and mentally abusive. And I was in Ohio with him where his family lived and I knew no one. Um, so it was pretty terrifying. Um, he, he came from a really rough background. He was in foster care from the ages of two to 11, um, was adopted when he was 12. Um, but he, he had a lot of issues that I didn't see in the first six weeks before we, you know, and that, and he told me eventually through that the reason he proposed to me so quickly is because he knew that I would not stick around. Um, he basically was on his best behavior, you know, for those six weeks and then we got married and then he let it, let it all hang out. Um, so I was in Ohio with him um, and he was, I mean, don't want to go into too much, but I mean, I, he held a knife to me, my neck. Um, he put me underneath a mattress and sat on top of the mattress. I was pregnant. Um, and so that was scary. Um, he was just very abusive. And so I told him, I said, I can't stay here in Ohio. I need to go back to Arizona where at least I know some people. I said, I just, I can't do it. And we couldn't get on the insurance in Ohio. Um, like the access insurance, we couldn't get on it because we didn't have residency there for long enough. So I told him like, hey, the only way that we can have this baby is if we go back to Arizona because I can get on access. So he believed me for that. And we came back out here. Um, and so I came back to Mesa, was living with him. He was trying to behave a little better, um, but it still was pretty bad. And I was like, okay, as soon as, you know, I get on my feet after this baby, I'm going to leave him. I'm going to, you know, go out on my own and figure this out. Um, had my son, Alec, my baby boy, who I adore and love so much. He's changed my life. Um, while I was pregnant with him, I couldn't be on medication. Um, so I, that was the first time that I stopped taking medication as an adult. It was very difficult. Um, just a lot of really bad mood swings, not sleeping. Um, just, it was a really rough time in my life being pregnant with him, um, being in that situation I was in with his dad and being bipolar and not being on any medication. It was really rough. And um, my doctors were having me come in for stress tests every week just because they were worried about the baby. I wasn't gaining enough weight, just still struggling with the eating disorder um, was kind of a mess. Had my son and um, went back to work within three weeks because we had we needed the money. Um, the man that I married, the man that I was with, could not keep a job. Um, so we were on access, on food stamps. I was trying to work. I worked at a group home actually for teenage girls and I worked 24 hour shifts. So he would drop my son off during the day and then at night he would come pick him up and I'd stay the night with the girls. Um, and 
when my son was four months old, I started having a really, I was back on my medication, but I started having a really bad manic episode. And I was like, wow, something's really, really wrong here. Went to the hospital. Um, they didn't hospitalize me. They just, they just did ran labs on me and stuff. And I was pregnant. Um, I was breastfeeding and on birth control and was not supposed to be able to have kids. And I was pregnant and I, my son was four months old and I was in this terrible relationship and it was terrifying. I was, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I really, you know, getting an abortion crossed my mind. Um, but I was, had that, those tapes playing in my head from that cult that I belonged to and about, you know, just like how bad that would be. Um, cause I had never thought of it myself. I just knew what the church had taught me. And so I had all these things in my head and I was like, okay, I'm going to have this baby. Um, and I'm, I don't know how I'm gonna get away from this guy now. Cause I'm going to have two babies and I don't, I, I can't, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, had my daughter and when my daughter was three months old, I decided, okay, I'd had enough. Um, and so I left, left their dad. Um, what I, I don't, I wouldn't say I was homeless, but I stayed with, um, several different friends. I would sleep on the couch. I took my kids with me. Um, my one friend, Rachel had two autistic teenagers and she let me move in with her, with my two babies. I had a one-year-old and a, then a four-month-old and she let me move in. Um, and so we stayed there as long as we could. And I just found out that I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't take care of the kids and work and make it work. And so I got back together with their dad, um, just as a way to, you know, try to make it through life. Um, we ended up finding a really cheap apartment and it was in a really bad area of town. It was, um, kind of in Mesa. Um, I can't really think of what the area is called, but it's like eighth Avenue and country club. It was just not a good area, but it was the only thing we could afford. Um, so their dad and I moved in together and it went right back to what it was. It went right back to just terrible, abusive nonsense. Um, and I decided to stay off my medication so that I could try to breastfeed my daughter and I started not sleeping. Um, and so I started drinking pretty heavily at night to try to fall asleep and it didn't work. Um, then I went on Ambien that didn't work. I, I was just a mess. Um, and at the same time, trying to work, I was working odd jobs, um, cleaning houses, doing whatever I could. And then in the afternoons, I was a sports coach for kids um, in elementary school. So that I was using my, I, I couldn't find a teaching job. And even if I could have, I didn't have daycare, so it wouldn't have worked out. So I was teaching after school and my husband was supposed to be working during the day. Um, one day I came home early from work and he was home and I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I quit my job. So <laughs> we were in this very cheap apartment. Um, I was making like $12 an hour, like 20 hours a week and he quit his job. So we were just stuck again. Um, and I went down to the lady that owned, it was a, it was a family owned apartment. It wasn't like a corporate owned place. It was just like some duplexes. And so I went down to her and I just explained to her what was going on. And she said, you can stay here as long as you need to for free. If you will kick him out and not have him um, on the premises of these apartments ever again. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm good with that. Went home, told him, Hey, you got to go. So the kids and I can stay here. And he left. Um, he went and found uh, a halfway house to stay at and he stayed there and he, um, they had, they had yard sales. Um, they would go a lot, the halfway house place would go around and 
find stuff and fix it up and sell it. And then he would steal from the pot that they made at the yard sales and give it to me for diapers. Um, so that's how I, that's how I got diapers at that time. Um, and one day I had to work and I had been, at, I had been dropping my kids off to anybody who would watch them. They were one and almost two. I'd have a friend watch them one day. I'd have a lady from church watch them another day. I'd have a lady from church's grandma watch them one day. I mean, my kids were just going everywhere. They were never in the same place two days in a row. Um, and thank God for those people. I mean, I had people that at the church, I, I was going to a normal, like regular church now with like a normal Christian church. And there were so many kind people there that were like, drop them off. We'll watch them. You know, my babies were very sweet babies. They were good kids. And so I was super lucky to have people reach out to me and just be like, I'll watch them. Um, but one day I couldn't find anyone to watch them and I, I needed to go to work. So I called my ex and said, Hey, can you come to the apartment for like five hours while I go to work? And Eileen, the lady that owns the place, she cannot see you. You have to stay inside. She cannot see you. And he said, yeah, I'll come, I'll come watch him. So he came over to watch him and I went to work. And when I got back, uh, the lady was in my apartment screaming and yelling at him and telling him to get out and she had come to do like a pest control, like she had come to like spray for bugs or something. And she hadn't told me and he was there. And so she was like, you have to go, you can't stay here. Um, and so that was when I became homeless um, for the second time with a one-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, and that was an experience that I will always hold very deep in my heart. It taught me so many things. Um, Basically, she gave me two days to get out. I had some friends come help me clean. Um, I just didn't have, I don't, I don't have any family here. And I didn't have any friends that had room for a one-year-old, a two-year-old and a woman who could pay no money for rent. Like if they, there's just not a lot of places to go stay. Um, and so we couch surfed from, we stayed with the people at my church that would let us, we, we just stayed wherever we could. Um, two days here, three days there for about three weeks. And then um, a friend of a friend worked for a place called Save the Family. It's in Mesa. Um, it's, a, it's a transitional living facility. And a friend of a friend of mine was a case manager there. And she was like, let me see what I can do for you. Um, and so she got me in with their program. Um, so I was super lucky. We were only really homeless for about three weeks. And then we got moved into Save the Family. Um, it was a little duplex. It was just me and my kiddos. Um, it was $400 a month and, you know, we could make it work. So we, we moved in there. Um, and then I got a job. There was a school right on the street. So I got a job at the school, um, but my teaching uh, certificate had expired by then. I, I hadn't kept up with it. Life had been so stressful. I hadn't been teaching. And if you're not in the classroom, um, then you don't, you're, it doesn't automatically renew. And so I went to work there as a teacher's aide um, and I worked 35 hours a week, but I only made $12 an hour. And so my entire paycheck, and also when you work for um, a public school, they take out retirement, whether you're a salaried person or not. So they were taking like $300 a month out of my checks for retirement. And there was nothing I could do about it. I made like $1,200 a month and got like 300 a month taken out. Um, and so we... My kids and I were on access, obviously we were on food stamps. We lived at Save the Family, um, but still it was just not enough. Like I just, I couldn't buy diapers for two kids, buy formula, take care of all their needs. Their dad had at this point dropped out, um, was not around anymore. 
And so um, I found myself for the first time standing on a street corner. I was stood on Alma School in the 60 with a sign just saying like, hey, can you got, can you help, you know, please help what anything helps. And I was there for probably about an hour and a half. And it was um, a really terrible experience. People don't look at you. People um, glance at you. And then when they see you looking back at them, they look away. Um, people turn their music up, people lock their doors. It, I mean, it was, it was just really, really, really eye-opening for me, the way that people look at homeless people. They look at homeless people like they're trash and like they, you know, you, they didn't know me. They had no idea that, you know, I'm here alone. I have no family. I work 35 hours a week and I just, I, but I need diapers. Like, you know, it's, it, it was, um, it was a very sad experience. It made me feel really sad about humans and the way that we look at each other and the way that we treat each other um i had people yelling terrible things at me um people yelling at me to get a job people yelling at me they were going to call cps i mean just all kinds of stuff um and then i had made about 25 dollars in about an hour and a half and then a cop came and was like you need to leave you can't be here um and so i left went home and basically the way that I made ends meet is people would give me gift cards. People at church would give me like a fries gift card or a target gift card. Um, thinking that, you know, I would go use it for diapers and basically I would sell those gift cards on Craigslist and then use the money to pay my rent, um, or, you know, pay my, my power bill. Um, and the saddest story that I have from that period of time, that period of just being homeless and being broke was that someone gave me a hundred dollar target gift card. And I knew that $100 at Target does not go as far as $100 at Walmart. Um, $100 at Walmart is like $130 at Target. So I really wanted to get cash for that so that I could get diapers and formula. Um, and so I posted it on said, you know, $100 Target card for $80, you know, um, so I figured $80 at Walmart will get me a little bit more. I was stupid, didn't really understand how like the gift cards worked or whatever. Some lady you know, called me and was like, can you send me the gift card number so that I can check and see if it's a valid gift card? And I was like, okay. So I sent her the gift card number and she's like, okay, I'll meet you at Target in an hour to buy it from you. So I went to Target um, and then I got a text while I was in the parking lot. Oh, well, I'm not coming anymore. Go ahead and sell it to somebody else. So, okay. So I sat outside in front of Target and was like, does anybody want to buy this gift card? You know, I got a hundred dollar gift card. And some lady approached me and was like, she's like, I'll buy it from you. I said, cool, let's go inside. So we go inside to customer service for me to sell it to her and they're like this gift card doesn't have anything on it so the lady that had um called me from craigslist had stolen the gift card she had taken the number and bought crap with it online and i just started crying i just was standing in the middle of a target and i was so embarrassed um i was so ashamed uh, the lady thought that i was trying to, to rip her off she was like i can't believe you do this and i was like i literally thought i had a hundred dollars on it 20 minutes ago um it was the most um, embarrassing and like just dehumanizing thing that I had ever seen, like felt. It was, it was awful. I left, cry. I sat in the par Target parking lot for probably a half an hour and my babies cried in the back seat and I cried in the front seat and just, we just all sat there and cried. Like it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was just the worst um, feeling that I have ever had. And I've had a lot of really terrible things happen to me in my life, but just that feeling of like, you know, I texted that lady back and I said, I just want you to know that you just took my baby's diapers and formula, you know, you just stole my baby's diapers and formula and they're innocent babies, you know. Um, 
yeah, that was, that was the, the hardest moment. Um, but so we, I ended up getting on WIC and this is all going to sound really bad, but this is what, this is what's, this is what mom, some single moms, you know, some single moms have child support. Some single moms have, you know, family nearby that can watch their kids. Some single moms are lawyers that make $150,000 a year. I was a single mom who made $12 an hour. Um, and so I would go to get my WIC stuff. I would, um, breastfeed as much as possible. I told them that I wasn't breastfeeding, but I was. So I would get extra formula and I would sell formula on Craigslist and get like $8 for a can of formula and then go buy diapers. Um, you know, having two kids in diapers when you make $12 an hour is really not, it's not doable. Like it's just not doable. Um, and so, yeah, I was like committing fraud, like selling my WIC stuff. Um, I would sell my food stamps. I would say, Hey, I'll give you a hundred dollars of groceries you can use my card and you just gave me 80 bucks cash so I could pay my SRP bill um so yeah I was just like fraudulently doing stuff to try to to try to make ends meet um and the thing that was crazy about this is nobody that I worked with knew this everybody just thought I was like a normal person that just like worked at the school um nobody knew it was just very it was just very like I kept it under wraps um during this whole time one thing that I kind of wanted to point out through this talk was just about how difficult it is to get help um, for mental health issues in Arizona. Um, so during this time I was on access, which when you're on access, they send you to whatever um, behavioral health facilities are available um, for you. And I went to a place called Partners in Recovery. Um, I was trying to you know, work, take care of my kids, live. And I was see a new doctor like every two months because the doctors would just quit. They, you would see a doctor, you would get on medication, it would start to work, and then that doctor would quit, and then a new doctor would come in and put me on a different medication. Um, during that time, I was on 22 different medications. Um, I saw um, eight different doctors, and just one new doctor would come in and not like a medication and take me off of it and put me on a new one. There was nothing I could do about it. I had no say. Um, when you're on access for mental health care, you don't have a choice. You don't have a say if they want to put you on a certain medication you either take that or you don't take anything um you don't get to choose anything um and so my kids were four and five and i had a basically like just a mental breakdown um just from changing medicine so much and had to go to the hospital and so um i was in the psych ward for 14 days um and my kids had to basically just house hop from I had one friend that took care of them for a few days. Their dad came back and watched them for a couple of days. Um, they just kind of, my kids just couch surfed for 14 days while I was in the hospital. And um, the people at my work, like I said, had no idea. They had no idea that I was bipolar. They had no idea that I was homeless. They had no idea anything. And so they asked my son, because I.
box. And so they were just like, what, what the hell? Like they didn't know where I was. They, they thought they, one of my friends at work said at that time that she thought that I was dead. Like they thought that I had, cause they hadn't heard from me in two weeks. My son said I was in a box. They thought that he meant like a casket. They thought I was dead. Um, so that was interesting when I got out to have to like try to um, explain that. But I didn't want anyone at my work to know, you know, about my mental illness or whatever. So I just told them that I had gotten really sick and had gone to the hospital. And they're like, why didn't you call? My boss was like, why didn't you call? Um, that was really tricky to try to like work that situation out without anyone finding out. Um, but yeah, I hid, I hid my life from everyone. I was very ashamed of it. I was very ashamed to be um, bipolar. I was very ashamed to be homeless. I was very ashamed to be, um, you know, on food stamps, all of it. I was so ashamed for all of it. Um, and now when I look back at it, I'm 41 now. Um, that was, you know, all in my early thirties, late twenties, early thirties. I'm so proud of myself. Like, I mean, you know, my, my kids were never in danger. My kids were always taken care of. They were always fed. They were never neglected. Um, and a lot of people that are in my position that are, you know, have mental illness and don't have family around are people that are on the streets and are people that don't, can't take care of their kids. Um, and so I feel really blessed and really lucky that, you know, my kids never, they don't remember, my kids are 13, 12 and 14 now, almost 13. They have no idea that we ever lived in a homeless shelter. They thought we lived in a house. They, they we just made it work. Um, they just, they don't, they don't know that they were ever on food stamps. They have no recollection of any of this stuff. They are normal, normal kids. Um, growing up the way they did, um, they're just totally awesome kids. They're normal. They don't have any psychological issues. They don't have any behavioral issues. They're just good, really good, sweet kids. Um, so yeah, so then I, ke I kept doing that. And then um, one day, this is kind of a crazy part of the story. One day I was sitting at my house at Save the Family um, and my boss, my principal at my school had asked me why I wasn't a teacher. He's like, didn't you have a, don't, didn't you graduate with a teaching degree? I said, yeah, well, why aren't you a teacher? I said, well, I didn't want to explain how my certificate had expired. I just said my certificate's expired. He said, well, why don't you look into, you know, getting a new certificate? So I looked into it and I would just need to go to the community college, Rio Salado college. It's not community college. It's a, it's a back post-baccalaureate program. Um, but it was like 40 credits. It was like $4,000. I could totally do it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to save up some money and go for it. Um, so I'm sitting in my house one day and my kids are visiting with their dad and I get a knock on my door and I'm like, I thought it was a neighbor kid. So I'm like getting ready to go tell the neighbor kid, oh, they're not here right now. They're with their dad. Um, and it was actually my father who I hadn't seen in 14 years. Um, I hadn't seen him in 14 years because I told him to never contact me again. He was, he's a very bad person. Um, and he was standing at my door. So I, I was like, what are you doing here? Um, he said that he had hired a private investigator to find me and he had found me and he um, saw the position I was in and said, I will give you $10,000 if you will have a relationship with me. Um, this was a person that I was taken away from when I was nine years old. Um, so obviously there was not a, that was not a good choice, but I had to choose that money for my kids. Um, and so I let him back into my life, um, took the money, got out of say the family. Cause I, my time was up. I'm actually, you're supposed to stay there for 12 months. They let me stay there for 24 months because they were just really compassionate and they understood the 
amount of things that I was trying to overcome. And they just said, stay, you can stay. Just don't tell anybody you're staying because other clients can't know that you're here for two years. Um, and so I, I had, at the time I had like two months left when my dad, when my dad contacted me and I was like, well, I've got to take the money. I, I don't have a choice. Um, so I took the money and with that money, I was able to get an apartment. Um, he co-signed with me for an apartment. So I was 34 and I had my first apartment by myself with my kids. Um, and since he gave me that money, I used the money that I was getting from work to go back to school. So I went back to school, um, went to Rio Salado at night. Um, I have pictures of my kids laying on the floor in the apartment, like just waiting for me to get done with my homework. It was terrible. It was hard. I was working 35 hours a week still, and I was going to school full-time and I had them full-time. Um, but I made it work. I finished, I got my elementary ed certificate. Um, and so I got a teaching job, which was awesome. Um, but letting my dad back into my life was really, really bad. Um, he, he started to kind of control what I could or could not do. Um, he would say, I'll give you this money. If you do this, if you don't do this, I won't give you money. Um, and so I had to really compromise my values and put, uh, honestly put my kids in danger, um, because I needed the money so badly. Um, and at that time about, let's see, about a year and a half into the situation with my dad, I met my current husband, um, which is where my whole story changes and turns around and becomes amazing. Um, I met him and he was super successful. He's a television producer. And I was super, um, intimidated by that. Cause I was like, well, I'm just a poor girl who's, you know, barely a teacher and I've got mental health issues and I've got these two kids, like, I just felt so, I just didn't feel good enough. I just felt like, you know, like I'm not good enough for this person. Um, but he did not take that for an answer. Um, we started dating and within like a month we were like, okay, this is like obviously going somewhere. Um, with his help, I was able to cut my dad off. Um, and he, he and I moved in together, um, about nine months after we met, we got married um, and my whole like life changed. Um, I went from being a single mom for several, like seven or eight years to being a mom with like a husband and a house. Like we lived in a house. It was amazing. I hadn't lived in a house since I was like 14. Um, and I kept teaching. Um, but I found that teaching was a little bit too much for me with, with the bipolar. Um, it's it, it, too much stress. And so I was really looking for a way to kind of get out of it. And then COVID hit. And like teaching went from teaching in a classroom to teaching online. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. This is not what I signed up for. And um, I had always been an athlete still throughout this whole time. I've been running, lifting weights. That's how I, that's how I kept myself mentally healthy is running and lifting weights. And my husband was like, why don't you just be a personal trainer? And I was like, yeah, that's what I've wanted to do my whole life, but I just never could figure out how to do it. Um, and I was in a position now where I, I didn't need to work financially. My husband could take care of us. And so I went for it this summer. I actually um, studied for the personal trainer exam, took it, passed it, and started my own business. And now, um, like I said, my kids are 12 and 14. My son's on the honor roll. He has straight A's. My daughter's on the honor roll. She has A's and B's. Um, I live in a house. I have a garage in my gym. I have my own business. Um, I love personal training it's awesome I get to help people that need to lose weight or want to feel better I get to share my passion which like athletics has gotten me through so much um I competed through high school and college um I 
that those were the things that kept me alive, really kept me going um, and helps me. My, my doctor like is like, you must exercise every day. You must lift hard. You must run hard. You must like sprint. Like she's telling me like, you have to do all these things if you want to stay sane. And so I do those things to stay sane and they make me feel awesome. And now I get to teach other people how to do it. Um, and it's just an amazing, it's just an amazing like turn for my story. I've been with my husband for six years now. Um, and like I said, my kids don't even know, they don't even know like the background that they come from. They just think that they live in a loving house with a mom and a dad. And, and they think my kids think I'm awesome. My kids think I'm like super strong and they think I'm like a badass, which is really cool. So yeah, that's kind of my story. Um, in, in a nutshell. Absolutely amazing. I mean, share how mind blown are you right now? Um, I love it. And obviously like there's Katie, you know, you've known me for years. So like Megan, a lot of your story I can relate to, I've been a single mom. I've been, um, separated from abusive. My ex was very abusive. Um, my, I grew up with a bipolar mother. So okay. like a lot of the things that you talked about, I can relate to, I can, I can understand, um, when you talked about the box, when you were in the psych ward. So my sister, when I was, I had gone to the Navy and then came back. And so she's a teenager. We're eight years apart and she was in a psych ward and the box that you talked about, like, that's exactly what the room looks like. And you said, you don't have your phone. You, they literally take everything from you. Yeah they, her hoodie strings, they took out literally everything. Like people don't understand how bare minimal, like you can't have shoelaces. Um, you know, so just you painting that picture, I can, I can relate to it. And I did have some questions. I was taking notes in case you guys were wondering what I was doing to highlight. Me too. <laughs> um, but I have some questions because, especially because my mother's bipolar, um, okay. and I don't have a relationship with my mother at all. Um, and so some of those things that you were talking about, like cutting out your family, like people don't understand how difficult that is. It's like so difficult because these people are blood. Right. And so right. society makes it, makes it harder. Like they just make it seem like, Hey, if it's blood, you have to keep them in your life. Or, right. you know, if I tell people like, no, I don't have a relationship with my mother. They look at me weird. Like what? Um, so I'm so glad that you were able to, even after that. And I understand, you know, having, that moment in time where you had to, you know, give in and, yeah. you know, needed his help. I get that. Um, but then for you to still turn around and, and cut it off or whatever. Um, but I have some questions for you. So the cult, if we go back to that point, um, yes. did your friend know she was in a cult? No, no idea. Um, okay. that was there for, it was, it was a boy, it was a boy actually. And he had been oh. my best friend for a long time. And he thought that he, he never grew up in a church either. So no, he had no idea. Um, since coming out of that, every person that I know that went to that church has left it. Like, I don't know anybody that's still there because like you grow up to a certain point and then you realize, holy shit, like this is crazy. These people are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but had I not moved up to, had I not gone to treatment, I don't think I would have left there. I think I would still have been in there, you know, but no, yeah. he did not know that he was in a call. He had no clue. Okay. And then I had another question, and this is kind of stemming from me being a child of someone with bipolar disorder. Um, so you said you were pregnant, obviously you had to go off your meds after that. Do, was it hard for you to, 
to choose and decide to go back on meds because no, no. Okay. Not at all. Because I, I knew that I needed it. I'm a type of, there's, there are some people who with mental illness feel like, okay, it's under control. I'm going to go off my medicine. I don't do that. I've done it too many times. I know like it's not going to be a good thing. So no, it was not hard for me at all. Okay. And well, I, not that I, there's no judgment for people that, that don't take medication. It's just me personally. I know I need to. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's crazy too. You brought up a lot of things about like access, right? Yeah. And so of course people have all of their different, um, thoughts on, on people in access and WIC or whatever. I've, I've been a single mom too. I've been on, um, WIC and, and access at some point in my life as well. But I think that if, if you haven't experienced it and you haven't been on that, you don't understand that there's no continuity. You don't have a say in things. And so I like that you brought that up because it brings awareness about like, you didn't have the same doctor for long. You were always switching meds and you don't get a say in your healthcare realistically, where as human beings, like we should be able to decide, do I want to put this in my body or not? Like, even though right. you decided, Hey, I'd like to be on meds because it works for me. You didn't get to decide to decide which meds or, Hey, I don't want to switch or anything like that. So I just think it's really important to bring awareness around that because unless you're in the system, uh, and kind of forced into that, you have no, no idea. Definitely. So I'm glad that you shared that. Um, how about you, Katie? What do you have? Oh, I have a whole list too. <laughs> it's like poor Megan. It's like rapid fire. And there were times when I really wanted to interrupt your story and be like, well, what about, what about, and, but I'm trying not to do that so much anymore and just let people get their story out. So, I mean, I was captivated for the entire time. That was, uh, I wanted to laugh. I wanted to cry. I wanted to, I mean, there were so many things. Um, back to the, the bipolar. So what exactly, for those who don't know, what exactly is a bipolar disorder and what type of obstacles does it create for you? I feel like this is one of the, so, you know, I mean, we're in this culture right now where it's this cancel culture, right? Where like, you can't make fun of anything, but I still will sit and watch a TV show and they'll make fun of like, oh my God, she's bipolar. Like, wait a minute. Why is that okay? Like, it's not okay to make fun of anything else, but you, that you still see people having just a stigma towards it. Like there's just a huge stigma towards it still. And people don't know what it is. And a lot of people, I, I get upset because people think that like bitchy women who like, you know, change their mind a lot. Oh, they're bipolar. No, they're not. They're just a bitchy lady that changes their mind. Like bipolar is not what people think it is. Um, they right. think it is like where you get really angry or you're really mean, which some people that is how it presents itself. Um, like Sherry, I know that you said your mom is bipolar. I, I don't know what experience you had with her, but it can be different from person to person. Um, but for me, what it is, is basically like the way I like to explain it. It can be like, I can, everything in my life can be going completely wrong and I can be totally fine and like on par, fine, normal. Um, it's not, it's not caused by things happening. Like dep my depression doesn't come when like something bad happens. It just comes out of the blue. Like I'll wake up one day and be like, holy shit, it's here. I know it's going to be here for X amount of days. I, it's usually about two weeks. Sometimes it's longer. Um, I have tried my entire life to fight against it and to say, no, I'm not going to get depressed. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do this. It's not something that I can fight against. Um, at 41, I finally, with my husband's help, realized like it's a chemical imbalance in my brain. 
And it doesn't matter how much I want to feel better. I'm not going to feel better until my chemicals in my brain have regulated and then I'll feel better and I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically I, there's, there are different types of bipolar disorder. There's bipolar one, which is where you have mostly mania. There's bipolar two, where you have like, it's called a hypomania. It's a little bit less of a manic um, state. And then there's, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's like not otherwise specified bipolar disorder where it's kind of like a gentler highs and lows. I have mm-hmm. type one bipolar. Um, I have, I have mania. I do have depression too, but I mostly struggle with mania. Um, I've had it for 20 years. And I would say in the last year and a half, I have figured out what it is. It's, it's complete. It's completely out of my control. There's, I can't control, I can treat it with medication. I can, um, I'm very vigilant about taking care of my healthcare. Like I go to bed at the same time every night. If I'm going to go to a party or something, like I know, like I could be screwed for four days after, like it could fuck me up if I go to bed at one o'clock in the morning. Like, right. I have to be extremely diligent about what I eat, about how I exercise. Um, I can't watch TV too late at night because my brain will just like kick in. Um, mania basically is what I describe it as. I feel like my body is full of electricity. Um, I am extremely uncomfortable in my body. Um, I, one way I explain it too, is like, I don't know if you've ever looked at your floor and it's been dirty. You're like, I need to sweep that. It's like the pieces of dirt on my floor are jumping up and hitting me in the face and like, clean me, clean me, clean me. Like I have to clean everything in my house. I have to do all the laundry. I have to get all the baseboards clean. Like, it's just crazy. And it's not because I want to do those things. It's because like my brain is just firing so fast to like, my husband will be like, can you sit down? And I'm like, no, I literally cannot sit down. Like it takes over my brain. It takes over my body. Um, I I've been doing a lot better. Um, I've got an awesome doctor. I've been with her for five years and she's amazing. And I've been doing a lot better. And I had my first episode in a while, a couple of weeks ago. And when it started happening, I was so mad. Cause I was like, man, it's been like eight months since I've had an episode. I've been doing so good. It just takes me out of my life completely. I lose days. Like I just, that's the only way I can explain it. I lose days because like, I'm not mentally, I'm in a different place mentally. Um, I have lost, not, I have not lost. I've quit probably 11 jobs. Um, and every time I have quit them, it's because I'm manic. Um, I go to work and I cannot be in one room. I have to leave. I can't do it. Like, it's like, panic attack level anxiety. Um, and it's just, that's what mania feels like. You just can't be in one, you have to move. You can't be in one place. And I've gone into work and been like, bye and left. Um, and then, then like when my mania is over a week and a half later, I'm like, shit, I just quit my job. Like, what am I, it's bad. Like it's, it's bad. Um, and it's, like I said, I don't have a lot of control over it. Um, I have more now that I understand it, but when, especially when I was younger, it would just, it would just knock me out. I mean, it just, I've done things when I'm manic that I just, I'm like, what the hell? Like I would never do that, but your brain is not there. I'm a different person when that happens to me. Um, I am a very like even keel chill person. Um, I don't really get upset by much. I'm just very laid back, but, but then I'm a different person for several days. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, I've tried, I tried twice to get disability for it. A lot of people do get disability for it. Um, I got, I got told no both times because I had such a, so much of a work, uh, work record. I've been working since I was 15. 
Um, so, but, but I'm thankful for that now, because I think if I had gotten it, I wouldn't have pursued doing what I want to do now. Um, part of the reason why I wanted to have my own business is because when I get hit with either a depression or a mania, I can't function. And I know that. And so I have missed so much work in the past. And it's like, you know what, rather than having to like, try to explain that, let me just be my own boss. And then if I'm having a day like that, I can call my clients and be like, Hey, can we do a virtual visit today? And I can still do it like from my house. So that's part of the reason why I wanted to do that too, is because it's just, it's just so much easier than having to try to like hide it. Hiding, hiding it is just hard. I've hidden it for so long and it's just been really hard. Yeah. And it just seems like it's much easier, much more smooth to work with it. Now that you know, you accept it. Hey, this is what I got to deal with. And yes. now you're finding ways of working with it, which is, that's phenomenal. I mean, really and truly that's, that's a victory. Yeah. Right. You came Definitely. up with a solution and it sounds like because of, you know, the course of your lifetime working out athletics, it's all something that's passionate to you, but also we all know that working out correlates with the chemicals in your brain and things like that. So I feel like you came up with a solution, not just, Hey, I'm being my own boss and I can change my day if I need to, but Hey, working out physically and mentally makes me feel better. And so that in itself is a solution to the problem. You know, you came up with something that works better for you, but then you can teach other people that, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's why I want to teach it because it does boost your serotonin and it definitely helps. And even if I'm super, super manic, like I, one way that, you know, is you will see me, I'll be running my ass off. I'll be going like a six minute mile down the street. Cause I got to get it all out <laughs> and it helps. It gets some of that out. You know, it like, it helps me when I was doing when I, this last time that I had a manic episode, I was running down the street as fast as I could. And I probably look crazy because I feel crazy. And some man yelled out his window, are you going for the Olympics? And I was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to get this shit out of my head. But yeah, no, it's, it's definitely helpful. It definitely um, helps to regulate my illness when you were talking about mania and trying to like explain it to somebody that wouldn't understand um you know of course I understand seeing it or witnessing it my sister's also bipolar um but she went the route of using drugs and so like that obviously makes it worse because it's messing with your chemicals in your brain but you made me think about something that recently just came up when I was on vacation in Oceanside in San Diego um have you guys heard of bioilluminescence in the ocean? Oh, so, yes. I think I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. Okay. So if you guys, I pulled up a picture. So if you can see, there's these like minerals that are in the ocean at certain times. And if you like run your hand through it or even just waves, it's these little tiny things that get excited. So they bounce off each other and that's what creates the light or the illuminating glow. And so it, you made me think of that when you're talking about the floor and like just you know, little things bouncing all over. It made me think of that. So when they're excited, they're just moving around all crazy, but that's, you know, I, I feel like I can relate or understand that seeing my sister and my mom, like they're just constantly, they can't sit down, they can't calm down. They can't, you know, bring themselves to that point. So. How let's go back to the bulimia, then anorexia, then bulimia. Did you find yourself having body image issues? Oh. What kind of led to <laughs> yeah. that? Um, so like I said, I was dating that boy and he was a wrestler and he was bulimic. Um, and I just started doing it because he was doing it. Like I didn't even think I needed to. 
But then uh, my sophomore year, I started getting really good at track and cross country. I was okay. My freshman year, I was okay. I was really good in junior high, like compared to other junior hires. But then my freshman year, I was just okay. And my sophomore year, I started to get better. And my coach actually told me, because I probably weighed 100 pounds at the time. And he was like, lighter is faster. Like the lighter you are. And my coach, my high school coach told me that. And I like took that and was like, okay, I want to be good at this. And I would not eat at school. Like I would go through the whole school day, not eat, go to track practice, not eat. Um, I, one day my junior year got taken to the hospital from, they had to call an ambulance to track practice and take me to the hospital. And I was so dehydrated that I had four bags of saline solution at the hospital. And my coach was there. The same coach that said that to me was there. And he was like, you got to eat. And it was like, dude, you're the one that told me like lighter is faster. Um, But definitely had, definitely had body image. And, and, And looking back on it, like, bulimia causes like a uh like a swollen look in your face um a lot of people don't know that but your body retains a lot of water when you're bulimic because it's like what like what are you doing like why are you know I mean I was using probably like 15 laxatives a day at at a certain point um and so I look at pictures of myself from that time and my body is super skinny but I have this super fat looking face and it drives me I can't stand looking at pictures of me at that time but that's that's what it does um but yeah, I definitely had body. I've had body image issues up until about a year ago. Um, and a year, what happened a year ago is um, I really, really, my, my husband has two kids. They're 21 and 18. I have two kids. They're 14 and 12. And I n- knew that I really wanted to have a baby with my husband. And he, when we got together, his kids were 12 and 15. He was like, I'm done. Like my kids are teenagers. I'm good. Like we would see a baby and I'd be like, oh my God, I want one. And he was like, no, I don't want one. Um, I accidentally got pregnant um, when I was 39 and I was so like just the happiest, like, oh my God, did I want that baby? Like it was an accident, a total accident. And I called my husband and I was like, we have an issue. And he's like, what's the issue? And I'm like, I'm pregnant. He's like, oh shit. Like what are, he did, you know, he's at the time 44. He's like, I'm, my kids are grown and done. Um, and I ended up losing the baby. Um, we went in at our 12 week appointment to find out the sex. And she was just, I mean, I'll, I'll always have that picture in my mind of that little baby in my stomach and no heartbeat. Um, it was just, it was really devastating. Um, like just, I've been through a lot of things in my life that are hard, but that was just like, I cried for like 15. I just cried for like two weeks. I just didn't know. And my kids, um, my daughter had heard me talking to a friend and I hadn't told my kids that I was pregnant. And she was like, mom, is there a baby in your tummy? And she asked me that like three days after I lost the baby. And I just, I had to tell her what happened, told her, you know, the baby died. Um, we're not going to have this baby, but something happened to me when, when I lost her, Uh, we named her grace. I have a, a tattoo that says grace. It's my son's writing and my daughter drew the hearts. Um, something happened to me and I was just like, you know, I'm going to be grateful every day. I'm going to be, um, the best person I can. Like I, this, this baby came to do something for me and I don't know what it was, but like, so, so then I went in to have, um, a DNC cause I, the baby wouldn't, wouldn't come out naturally. Um, and they said, you have a giant fibroid. Like I, it was like the size of a, um, softball. And I was like, Oh, I just, thought I was constipated like but I had a giant fibroid sitting um on my intestines and so they removed that 
during the um, hysterectomy and it like just gave me a new new lease on life like I had super bad back pain before that so I feel like this baby came and like taught me how to take I don't know she she just she did something for me I don't I'm not making any sense right now but like getting the fibroid removed removed my back pain um getting the hysterectomy done actually kind of leveled out my bipolar quite a bit um the doctor thought it might do that because he said your estrogen is not going to be as high anymore um which kind of mellowed it out so I don't even know where I was going with this but I'm I'm totally lost now but having um losing having grace and losing grace um really you know changed my life a lot so well it's it's phenomenal just listening to you and listening to the mindset right so like we could have somebody else on and they could say they could talk about baby grace coming and it could be like more of the the negative side of the stick right um you know this stuff happened isn't it terrible where I'm sure you're feeling there's a loss there, but I love your mindset shift where you're like, okay, but there's some positivity. Let's extract as much positivity out of it. What am I grateful for uh, with this particular incident? And I just, I think that's phenomenal. And I think, you know, a lot of, that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to do. And it's really just that shift, right? And if we Mm -hmm. shift in our mind, it changes so much of our outcome. Oh, definitely. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Like I have a friend, um, he's actually, he's not a pastor anymore, but he was my pastor for a while, not at the cult, at at the good church. Um, (laughs) And he calls it reframing. He says, you have to reframe it. You have to like, just figure out a different way to look at it. And I, I I really try to do that as much as I can, you know, just look at, look at the situation and then pick out the best way to go about it. And for me, it's like, you know, there's a lot of grief that I, that I didn't have that baby, but there's just a lot of thankfulness for the two kids and two stepkids that I do have, you know, and the relationships that I do get to have with them. So. Right. And like you mentioned, extract, okay. If everything that happens, you learn something from, if you're, if you've got the right mindset, right. Definitely. So let's extract what we learned from it. Let's extract, Hey, maybe I wouldn't have found this health concern that I had. Right. If that, and, and maybe it would have been, you know, I don't know much about those types of things, but maybe it would have been, you know, more of a situation had you gone to 42, 43, 44, um, you know, having that. And so I, I love that. And, um, there's so much more I want to ask you, but we've got to cut it short. Well, not cut it short. We've been longer than an hour. (laughs) And I'm like, I have have so many more questions for you. So just like Sherry's, Sherry was on the podcast sharing her story a couple of weeks ago, probably months ago now. And we have to have her back for a part two, because there, there were so many other questions that were unanswered. And I feel the same with you. Um, I really feel like this, I mean, this was a phenomenal story. Thank you to the ends of the earth for sharing it with us. There was a few times where I felt like you were getting a little choked up. So I was going to get a little choked up and then Sherry was going to get a little choked up and we were just going to have a cry fest. Um, and that's okay too, because you know, you got to get that stuff out sometime. Um, but I, I really feel like a, there's a lot of inspiration in this story, especially for other moms that might be in an abusive relationship, find themselves pregnant, find themselves homeless, find themselves dealing with things that you had to deal with. Just to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, just to know that there's a couple of little things that you can shift, such as your mindset, such as, you know, let's extract the positivity out of the situation. You said you ended up homeless with two kids in your car, but you extracted the positivity and what you learned out of that situation. And that was like, just, that was literally like the next thing that came out of your mouth. And it's, it's, 
so phenomenal. And I just want other moms to hear that, you know, other moms that, like I said, may be struggling with, uh, you know, you know, mental health situation or whatever, like just, just such an inspiration to know that somebody can get from point A to point B, go through all that shit, but still make it with amazing kids and an amazing marriage in a house, like all the things like the American, like you're living the American dream. You really yeah, definitely. are. I really am. You know, and, and, and I love how you brought your teaching background and your love for teaching into what you're doing right now. Definitely. Yeah. Because you really are teaching people each and every day. I think that's incredible. I think it's incredible that you're like, you know what, this is me. This is the package I'm in the body I'm in. This is the obstacles that I have to deal with. And I'm just going to create my life to work around that. And it's I feel taken like a long time <laughs> to right? figure that out, but, but I'm thankful for, it. I feel like turning 40 is like a whole new life. Like, isn't it? You, yeah, it is. It's great. Isn't I love it? being 41. I, yeah. Me too. I'm going to be 42 in June and people are like, wow, don't you wish you were 30? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> and don't even think about taking me back to my twenties because right? well, that was a train wreck. <laughs> Sherry, you'll be there soon someday. Sherry will cross the 40 Very bridge. Soon. Oh, it's fun. You'll love it. We'll it's see. not scary at all. All right, ladies. Well, Megan, if somebody would like to follow you, connect with you. I mean, a few times you lifted up your arm and I saw, did oh, you see those guns? Sorry. Yes. No, I saw. I like want some of those. So if somebody <laughs> else out there wants arms like that, just like I do, where can we connect with you? So my website is liveempoweredfitness.com. So it's all one word, Live Empowered Fitness. I, I was trying so hard to find the right name and all the names I wanted were, were, were taken. And so I came up with that one and I love it now. It's not what I wanted at first, but I love it now. So liveempoweredfitness.com um, and Live Empowered Fitness on Facebook. Awesome, Megan. Well, thank you so much. And everybody out thank there, you. please. Thank you. I mean, it was seriously like we got to have you back for a part two. Yes, okay. I'm have, down. Let's do it. <laughs> I think we should. Cause I think I have 19 questions. I haven't hit yet. Um, okay. So it'll be a good one. Um, but ladies out there, mom nation and everybody else, if you're not in the mom nation group, that's okay. You can still like subscribe, download, follow us on your absolute favorite podcast platform. We like iTunes. Some people like Google podcasts, whatever it is, we're on all of them. So definitely subscribe, download the episodes so that, um, Really, Sherry, we just want to get this inspirational information out to more mamas, don't we? We sure do. All right, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you guys. Megan. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Moms with aspiration. Moms are inspirations. Moms in circulation. Moms at their workstations. Bump, 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 bump. They make a nation. Bump, this is a mom nation.